It's rare that something has the potential to help both our bodies and the planet at the same time. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Oobly and sweet proteins. Did you know that protein has a sweet tooth? That's right. There are a handful of plants that grow near the equator that make fruit that produce sweet-tasting plant protein that's not sugar. These are called sweet proteins. Sweet proteins are amazing tricksters and taste absolutely delicious. But better yet, they're digested just like any other dietary protein. That means they have no impact on blood sugar or the gut microbiome. Oobly uses sweet proteins to make incredible plant-based, low-sugar, sweet iced teas that are craft-brewed with clean, fresh ingredients and zero artificial sweeteners. No stevia, no sugar alcohols. With only 7 grams of sugar in an entire 16-ounce can, and that includes the fruit, you can have your sweet and sip it too. Oobly's sweet teas come in three delicious flavors, lemon, peach, and mango yuzu. Get 20% off your first order with the promo code GENIUS at oobly.com. G-E-N-I-U-S. That's the promo code at oobly.com. O-O-B-L-I dot com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Scott Cochran. He's the author of Your Creative Mind, how to disrupt your thinking, abandon your comfort zone, and develop bold new strategies. So we're going to talk about uh, Scott's work. Scott has been working in psychology and neuroscience for decades. Uh, he's a growth acceleration advisor to 284 C-suite leaders in 32 countries. His psychological and neuroscience methods have helped businesses achieve $54 billion in growth, which is pretty amazing. So thank you for coming, Scott. How are you doing today? I am doing absolutely wonderful, Richard. Thanks for the invitation. Really appreciate the the chance to have a chat with you. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background. How did you become such a boring and uninspired person? You know, I had a mentor when I was sixteen years old, and a guy named Les. He was came up to my shoulders. I was sixteen. I wasn't that tall. He was even shorter. He was this older, gravel-voiced kind of guy that uh, asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. I told him I wanted to be a psychologist, and uh, he kind of looked up at me with this really really kind of confused mind and and said, Scotty, if you ever want to make a living, forget that. Be a study business. So I listened to Les and I studied business and I ended up working in the stock market for about 10 years and on a financial front, he was probably right, but it wasn't me. And I decided to take a a break, take a a hiatus for a couple of years and figure out what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be. Ended up in Barcelona, which is a wonderful place I went to visit. Ended up studying what I wanted to study in the beginning. I went back to school, went to, to study psychology and neuroscience and human behavioral sciences. And I did all of my master's work there. And it was a great experience. I had some clients that were the, the likes of Coopers and Library and some partners there, some of the big Spanish banks. And the more I studied about human behavior and psychology and neuroscience, the more those relationships changed. Kind of turned into what I do now, to be quite honest. There was never this conscious decision to, I'm going to do this or I'm going to be that. It, it was really a flow. What I was doing turned into something that, that took a new shape. It took a shape around 
creativity and knowing oneself and getting inside oneself. How did you get some of your first gigs to consult with companies or, you know, what did that look like? You know, it was all just through introductions. I mean, when I first went to, to Barcelona, first of all, I didn't really speak any Spanish whatsoever. So I landed really, really like on my own and gee, what's going to happen here. So I uh, sent out some faxes back in that technology and I sent out a slew of faxes to some companies offering that I might be able to help them with their commercial their commercial expansion into the English speaking world. So they started to hire me to come and help them with that sort of work. And then as my focus started to change along with my studies, I got introduced to other companies. They, it was, it was all through word of mouth to be quite honest, Richard, and never did any, never did any marketing or anything after that. I worked very closely with marketing departments, but my growth, my career has all happened through just word of mouth. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Any favorite stories you have from, you know, past uh, clients who advised projects you did that worked really well? You know, I think one of the big, there was this big turning point and this happened around mid 2000s and I, I was working with a big yogurt company then and we, we wanted to expand. We wanted to take the company to new places and, and find new ways of doing things. So we worked out a way to basically place ourselves in the future. And I designed a process called time machine leadership. And we did, we started doing some time machine experiences. What that really means is going into the future to see what's there. So I think one of my favorite experiences was with a different company. And this was in the fall of 2008. And I was having a, having a conversation with the president of the European operations. He was quite frustrated because business was frozen. It was kind of plateaued at about 8.3 billion euro. So pretty good size uh, business, yet it was flat and profits were dwindling. He really didn't know what to do about it and was a bit frustrated. And I told him, well, what we need to do is change people's beliefs because you know what? We act based on how, what our beliefs are and it controls what we see and what we do. And, uh, he, and he was, well, okay, that sounds great. How do we do that? And I said, well, let's have a 2011 New Year's Eve party. And he kind of looked at me with his, his, his head cranked a little sideways and finally agreed. And we threw together this 2011 New Year's Eve party that we held third week of October in 2008. We pulled 65 European leaders together in one place in Barcelona and it all decorated this 2011 full-blown New Year's Eve party. It was come as you will be. They all showed up, a good amount of them skeptical of the whole thing, of course. This particular person, this leader gave a New Year's Eve address uh, toasting everybody to their wonderful, wonderful success and how we had achieved 11.3 billion in revenue and 10 times the, the profit. But with all those celebrations, he couldn't remember what we did. So let's work together to remember. And we did that. We worked through that process. And then the following day, we stayed anchored in that future state of 11.3 billion success and what it looked like. And we looked backwards and said, how did we do it? which is a psychological twist of the brain that just uh, takes away those, what, what I refer to as those yabbits, those nasty critters that make this sound that's kind of like a yabbit. What about the, the funding for all this? Or yabbit, how are we going to get the clients to agree to make you, you to, to go in that direction? Or yabbit, what's going on with the economy? And we worked through that. And then everybody went home. And then the economic world kind of fell apart later in that year. You, we all remember what happened in the, uh, towards the end of 2008. And they all thought, well, gee, that was a nice exercise, kind of fun, but now let's just try to stay alive. That leader sent me on the road. I visited 16 countries around Europe. We did a mini process with those individual leadership teams uh, in each country. 
And in 2011, we did 11.3 billion euro in revenue and 10 times the profit, exactly like we had visualized. Why do you think uh, this worked, this future pacing? It really is a change in belief. You know, there's a, there's a part of the brain that doesn't understand if something is actually happening, if it's a memory or if it's a visualization. It takes it as that and it, and it doesn't really discern where it's happening. And what that does is it changes what we see in the world. Richard, I, I, you know, I don't know if you're a parent or not, but for those of us who have children, so you'll remember back when you first found out that you were going to be a father, I mean, of your first child, you first found out as you go out into the world, you start to see things differently, don't you? I mean, there are maternity shops everywhere and there are pregnant ladies walking around the neighborhood everywhere and there, there are men with baby carts. And, Man, where did they come from? Well, they didn't actually happen overnight. They didn't build those maternity stores for you. They were always there. All of those same men pushing the baby carts and pregnant women were around the neighborhood before. We just didn't see them because our belief system wasn't there. And what we find is the same thing happens with any other sort of visualization. So we plan a visualization and actually internalize it into a feeling, especially inside of us. It changes that sliver of reality that we see because we really only see a sliver what's out there, a sliver of reality. So that's why when you find out you're going to be a parent, you start seeing different things there. When we create a strong visualization and live that visualization of an old future, our brain believes it to be true at some level, and it changes, it adjusts, it modifies our reticular sensory system to see different things. We see what we need to make that come true. Most of those things were already there. We did not see them before. Now they come into our into our perception and, and we're able to do things. So it's kind of a magical sort of thing, but we actually create coincidences. Coincidences are nothing more than two things happening together at the same time. And we can create those. That has a lot to do with why it comes true. We all know we should be eating less sugar, but we're constantly bombarded with drinks and snacks loaded with refined sugar or alternative sweeteners like stevia or erythritol that recent studies have shown might not be as harmless as we thought. Enter Oobly, who just launched the world's first beverages to satisfy your sweet tooth with protein. Sweet proteins are nature's candy and give Oobly's brand new sweet iced teas sugar-like sweetness without the impact to your health. Get 20% off your Oobly order with the promo code GENIUS at Oobly.com and try all three delicious craft-brewed sweet iced teas, lemon, peach, and mango yuzu. That's oobly.com, O-O-B-L-I.com, and use the code GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. You mean you're creating future coincidences by half idea and projecting out what's going to happen. Somehow in people's minds, they look for ways to make more money. They look for ways to, to meet that expectation you set out, and that's what happens. Exactly right. And, you know, there's a writer named Peter Williams. Williams has this, has this quote about visualization. He says, to visualize is to create visual lies. And visual lies have a strange way of coming true. And I find that to be absolutely accurate. We, we create a visualization. Our mind goes to work to close that gap. It looks for what it needs to make that come true. And it feels a bit like magic sometimes. I've seen it work over and over and over again. In the story of the $8.3 to $11.3 billion company, uh, we repeated the process for 2015 with 15 billion, and we completed exactly 15 billion. We did it again in 2018 for 18 billion, and we completed 18 billion. And the story has been the same with so many other companies and so many other uh, ventures. 
that I've worked with over yeah. the last 30 years. It's kind of magical. Now, Richard, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not that there isn't work that goes in around that. I mean, these companies that that do this and create these bold visions and bold strategies of how to move forward have to put in the, to, to, to actually make that come true. Diligence becomes a very important factor in, in follow through. Okay. So you've done this with, with multiple companies and the future pacing seems to work how often? I guess more importantly, what are the psychological stumbling blocks that your training has helped you to help people overcome? I would guess that you get fear, reservation, hesitation. I don't know about this kind of stuff. How do you overcome that when you work with a client? You know what's, what's interesting? You're absolutely right. There's about one third of any given set of executives in the room that have that, let's call it skepticism. And sometimes, and it doesn't always set in as fear, as fear, but it is skepticism. And and in the end, what I've discovered is that it really doesn't matter. What we do to get around that is gamify it in such a way and just at least get them on board to play the game. And and you know what? If they don't believe it, that it will really do anything or make anything difference uh, and make anything different, doesn't seem to matter. It, it happens anyways, because you know what? What we're doing in having them go there and be there and, and reside in that future state, their brain is there. And e whether they like it or not, their brain starts to look for things different that they didn't see before that can make that come true. So curiously enough, it was one of my fears, like, man, these people, you know, there's so many that are just, they're skeptical. They don't believe it. They're not buying into it. And what I discovered is that it it just doesn't matter. Their brain does what it needs to do anyways. And they start seeing different ways forward. They start seeing different solutions. They start recognizing that the person sitting right beside them in that conference is exactly the person they need to take another step forward. And it comes true anyway, in spite of their skepticism. Well, I mean, if they have skepticism, have you, I mean, I would think most consultants, good or bad, the companies that hire them at some point, they're like, they balk or they say, uh, I just don't know. And they you know, they either slow down the process or maybe they get so concerned that they kill it. Have you had that happen or you're just able to keep people going in such a positive way that you overcome the, the hesitations? It would be an exaggeration to say that every, every case is a successful case. The ones that are successful are the ones that are diligent in the follow through and actually taking the steps that they have agreed upon. The ones that go through the process, maybe set a bold, set a bold vision and then do get distracted or do not follow through on it. Don't continue to take the, the, the steps of engaging the rest of the organization in those forward-looking, uh, the future pace forward-looking plans. It doesn't work, of course, kind of stay where they're at or, or go in a different direction. The majority of the companies that I work with follow through and I stay there and I help them and I work with them in individual consultations and team consultations. I help them push it down into the organization to start changing the beliefs and the actions of the, of the organization as a whole. So it is being there and keeping them believing and moving in that direction. So what have you learned about the, uh, the art of follow through? What elements of it are necessary in order to make it work? It has to be something that's, this is going to sound strange, perhaps it has to be something that's fun, you know, positioning everything as hard work is, is just less effective. So we want creativity, we want innovation, we want to get the best out of people. We've got to be in that that right mindset of fun, for lack of a better word. We, we need the levels of serotonin high. We need dopamine pumped up there. We need to open up all those creative channels and to continue engagement with them. Let's face it, they have to enjoy the project. They have to enjoy the process. They have to be looking forward to meeting and coming together and, and taking another step forward. So when I'm with people, 
you know, hopefully it's a, it's a joyful kind of experience. It's a growth experience. There's, there are aha moments. And so creating that becomes highly important to keep people engaged and keep them, keep them moving and keep them taking the next steps. Well, what do you do if the, uh, you know, you pitched to the C-suite and they're excited about it. And now when they go to, you know, management and the whole thing is supposed to trickle down, everyone's like, oh, God, another project. I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, how do you align the whole organization? Yeah. Do you ever get that or you don't have that problem? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, all the time. And that's why communication becomes so important. It's, it's, a, it's a great question. And you're, you're spot on. I mean, organizations, get when you get down into the staff, uh, they get fearful of it's another project. And here we go again. And that's why the storytelling becomes so very, very important. The as part of the process, that vision needs to be rolled out in a compelling sort of way. That's exciting. It's inspiring. It's it, it's aspirational, and, and the steps going forward have to have that same sort of feel to it. And what becomes really important, Richard, is is engaging the next levels in the organization in the process itself. It's not a question of of the senior lead team coming up with all the answers all the direction and telling people what to do. It's coming up with the inspiring vision, the big steps to get there and engaging the rest of the organization to help build it, to co-own it, to really play, to take part in it. That is vitally important for success. And you know, it's a co-building kind of process that we want to undertake there. And if people can feel like they're co-building the change that's taking place, the direction where we're going forward, they're co-owners, of what's happening, then a lot of that fear disappears because they're part of it and they're, they're, they're helping create it and they're listened to. It's not that every idea they, that they might put on the table needs to be accepted or not, but it needs to be listened to. And they need, they need to become co-builders of this future that we're building together. Now, any, uh, again, psychological tricks to do that? How do you get people involved in an organization? Let's say it hasn't happened before and they're scared. And what will happen, you know, with this new project or this new plant, or they've you know, been working with their way for so long, and now all of a sudden the bosses are excited and they're like, uh, "Okay, what do we do?" But again, they're hesitant. The beginning has to start with the boss themselves. So that boss needs to be be willing to step out and open up and share in an authentic sort of way. This is the direction we want to go. This is the vision we can see for ourselves. Let's engage with that, and we need your help in building. How how do we go there? How do we get there? What does it really mean when the boss? plays that role, that willingness to be vulnerable, to step up to the rest of the team and share that and engage them in how to get there and what to do. A lot of that fear dissipates. It becomes this collaborative venture as opposed, opposed to a directive of go do this and don't be scared. It's all going to work out. That's scary, but actually building it together is less scary. Now, change also always shakes people up a bit you know they say that the only person that likes that likes change is uh is a wet baby and, and i don't know maybe maybe that's true but you know none of us may like it but the change that we all that we can all engage in better than other change is change that we are helping create having change pushed upon us is always difficult being part of change and helping create change is an entirely different venture so it makes sense yeah i'll keep going please no, I was just going to say, so that becomes an intricate part of the process of engaging those people. And sometimes it's curious, Richard, sometimes it's coaching the leaders to not do too much because there's a tendency of some leaders to want to, to plan the whole thing out, to have all the answers, to, to just unveil the, the finished project. And I coach them not to do that. Bring other people 
invite them into that co-building process and listen. Because you know what? We all have the best idea. Well, the problem is it's our best idea. It may not be the best idea. That process of collaboration, I mean, of listening, of engaging people, basically implementing this co-building kind of environment solves so much of that. Okay. Well, what are the uh, the typical avatars of people that you see in business? Like you're the creative guy, you know, all the energy, all the ideas. Um, what are the other avatars that you see, again, that are common in business? How do you harness them to work on a project and not obfuscate it? There are all kinds of different characters, different personalities we find in business. Yeah, there is... I mean, sometimes we equate them to the four elements of earth, fire, water, and air. And you can see that in people uh, just to put some kind of framework around it. So this fiery ideas, energy bursting out, that's that fire personality. And they're, they, they bring change and they have ideas and they're explosive and their passion shows through. And we need people like that. And then you have the more thoughtful type the air kind of personality. They're usually highly, highly intelligent people. And when you ask them a question, they'll usually pause a little bit and kind of look up to the the right corner of the room or to the left corner of the room and contemplate for a few seconds or maybe a minute and then come back with a well-thought-out response. That's that air person, and and we need to make room for those people. We we can't expect them to to get that quick answer that we'd expect from a fire-based kind of person. And then we have the, the the earth types that are well-planted, rounded, they're solid. They can resist change a little bit sometimes, but we need them because of that, that, that stability is there. So there's a different conversation that can take place there. Once we get them on with, with complete buy-in towards where we're going, they're an amazing asset to the whole thing because they're solid. They're planted in it. They're, you can't push them over. And the water personalities is people that th- they'll, they'll move, they'll help people collaborate. They'll listen to what's going on. It's like water flowing through the mountain. It, it follows the path. And, and they're actually really good at helping people come together at building collaboration. So recognizing where people are, and, and we end up with, I mean, that's a very simplified version of people's personalities. When we take that though, and, and recognize what's the mix that we have in our team, in our company, we can start to take advantage of the attributes of any one of those four elements and help each other in the the other some of the other behaviors that may not be attributes. Any one of those characters can demonstrate some wonderful attributes, but may also have some shortcomings that we need to help them with. Gotcha. In regards to your book, what what was the published date? How long has it been out? Your Creative Mind was published in 2016, so it's been a while. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, that's good. Uh, well, what's some interesting feedback you've gotten from readers? That's why I asked. Too new, you may not have gotten Exactly. No, you know, Your Creative Mind is a book collection of what we could consider standalone chapters. And what I get from people is is that it opens up a different way of thinking that they can have around things. And they don't have to actually sit down and read the book from cover to cover. So it's, it's not like a storyline book. My previous book, uh, Time Machine Leadership, is a book that you would read from front to back. It's sequential. Your Creative Mind is a collection of, of standalone chapters that introduce people to different ways of thinking, to how, how do I harness destructive thinking? How do I accelerate creativity or engage uh, in thinking processes that'll be disruptive and take me out of my normal way of thinking? Because, you know, when we think about things, when we try to solve problems, so many, time, our, so many times our mind 
wants to go down those same neuronal paths that we use for everything. And it's like trying to solve a problem the same way we've always solved every other problem all the time, and we get the same kind of solutions. And they stop working sometimes. So we need ways to break into some new ground to go down a different road to, to disrupt the mind into a new way of thinking. So your creative mind is that that collection of chapters is based on the experiences that I've had with clients over over that 25 kind of year period prior to the book. And so the feedback is, is that it's really interesting for them because pick a chapter, depending on what's going on, and it's practical. It gives them something that they can actually do. And that's something I, I really insist on in, in everything I do to tell you the truth, Richard, is it's, it's got to be practical. It's, it's really nice to help people you know, live a better life and have a greater level of well-being and, and enjoy things better. But it has to turn into something practical. It has to go somewhere. You know, we're here to make a difference, to disrupt our thinking, to build something greater. Okay. What's next for you? What's your future look like? Have you held a party for uh, 2026 for yourself? <laughs> in essence, yes. It's a great question because I am in this phase of literally working with my team and in, in devising that, that future as well. I'm finding more and more joy in helping executives find that balance, balance of flow and balance of disruptive thinking and success and going to new places. So it's it's something that's, that's gaining more and more energy. We just finished a last uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning, a mastermind retreat with, with a few executives. And these are something that I'd like to continue to do. And they're, they're private mastermind retreats where we, we just invite six or eight high-level executives to come together. We assure they don't work for the same company, so we want people of different backgrounds that ideally don't know too much about each other coming into it. And the the work is really well-balanced between knowing and developing my inner self to a greater level, increasing my own sense of well-being, and taking a look at some of the challenges, some of the opportunities that make them support new thinking models, disruptive thinking models about how to, how to get there. I think those are really exciting experiences. And in every one we do, we want to build in that energy kind of spiritual sort of pillar as well of who am I and, and why am I here? And how do I develop that as spiritual, not necessarily as religious. Everybody makes their own choice about that. But um, in this case, for example, we, we had this mastermind in Boulder, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, in Chautauqua, which is this uh, retreat space in front of the flat iron mountains, about 23,000 acres of, of woods and trails and things like that around it. So we did so we did a forest immersion and we got to know ourselves better through contact with forest, contact with the five senses, deeper reflections into inner meaning and who am I and how do I bring a greater level of well-being to myself. Then we carried that forward into building out creativity and exploring different challenges that any one of the participants may be having and looking for ways forward there. And the other piece we do there, Richard, is is we pull in some other disruptive thinking or self-exploration tools like working with art. Uh, so there may be some disruptive kind of drawing with a dog, non-dominant hand and getting into oneself to discover things that may not be right there to conscious sort of level. So a very deeper right brain experience. Mm, okay. So that's something that's becoming more and more important. And then it's really continuing to that work with senior leaders, which I so thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. I never thought I'd do anything more than 10 years, 10 years. I'm going to do something else for 10 years. I've been doing this for 32 years and you know, I'm, I'm not even halfway done. 
My, yeah, that's great. My wife asked me, she said, when you retire, if I retire from what? I'm just having too much fun. I'll retire when, when they dig the hole. Well, very good, Scott. Can you repeat the name of the book as a resource? And then what other resources do you have for listeners that want to get into a more creative role in their lives and business? My book is Your Creative Mind. Uh, that's available on, on Amazon, along with my previous book, Time Machine Leadership. I mean, with that, you'll capture a lot of what we've been talking about here today, Richard. And um, just some other pieces I think can be really, really helpful about living living with more joy, well-being, and being more productive. And a really fun resource there is a movie called About Time. It's a film that I recommend to most of the people I work with, to be quite honest. It has Rachel McAdams in there in one of her first roles and Billion and I, some people like that. It's very entertaining and has some great, great lessons about how to live life on a daily basis, having more joy and, and getting greater results. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful resource and really, really fun. And then at the base of joy and living well, I've always believed is is being in the moment that we're in. You know, we spend so much time projecting ourselves into an imaginary future that doesn't even exist yet or projecting ourselves in, into past is nothing more than remnant energy. When the real joy of life and our real productivity comes from being where we're at when we're there. So that ability to stay in the now is something that I end up doing a lot of work with, with executives. We spent a lot of time on it in our retreat here over the last few days. And it's tremendously satisfying to oneself to spend more time in the moment that we're in and our productivity, our creativity, our genius takes another step higher when we are there. Probably one of the best resources around that was a book written by Eckhart Tolle, T-O-L-L-E, quite a few years ago called The Power of Now. That's like just a great resource book to have. Eckhart also has a full recording of himself reading the book, which I find very useful as well. So that's the other two kind of cornerstone pieces there. And the other one's more of a study kind of a manual study going well, very good. Well, Scott, we're out of time, but thank you for coming and for your enthusiasm and energy and ideas. And I think it's been a very good call. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Richard, thank you so much. Hope to talk to you soon. Take care. Remember, if you're looking for groundbreaking low sugar products, head over to oobly.com and try the world's first iced teas made with sweet proteins, the future of sweet, because we all deserve to feel good about healthy sweetness. Use the promo code GENIUS at oobly.com and get 20% off their lemon, peach, or mango yuzu sweet iced teas. Oobly is sweet without sacrifice. Website is oobli.com. Promo code GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.